Hello, and welcome to episode six of the Renowned Podcast. We're your hosts, Allison Hager. And Mark Schultz. Renowned is a podcast for the curious. We dust off the commonplace to look for shiny new relevance as we challenge ourselves to think critically about the objects that surround us. How do they echo humanity's past, reflect the present, or foreshadow the future? Only shiny relevance. Only shiny relevance up in here this week. Yeah, we're not about dull and dusty. Mark, how was your week? Uh, really good. Uh, again, again, our audiences, we're going to be straining credibility. They'll be like, you guys, you can't say really good every week. The world's falling apart. Yes, we I did that. not say really good but, last week. Oh, no, you I didn't. That's right. That's so. true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> uh, really good with the show. I mean, you know, life's always got its ups and downs for sure. Um, but I was just thinking how much... There's like a almost a meditative repetition in this process for me now after, you know, this being our sixth. And it feels a little bit like I'm almost back in school, back in that, like a time when, not that we're forcing ourselves to do this, right? But when you just naturally repetitively were exposing yourself to new things and ideas and facts, and I, it's really energizing. So I'm happy. <laughs> How about you? Excellent. Um, yeah, similar. I didn't have as much time this week as I usually do because I have a lot of things going on, but I was really happy where it came out and I'm still just really enjoying the process in general. Um, even the process, just a little behind the scenes, like all the stuff we need to manage for the podcast to get it up and yeah, running, published right, on the website. Absolutely. There's a lot of work there and um, that takes a lot of time. And even that to me was pretty enjoyable. So it was a good week. Yeah, it's been fun and, and productive and we'll be, you know, we're pretty transparent about most things, audience, but just picture, right? A little behind the curtain look. We, you know, record some episodes in advance so that we have some, you know, in the can, so to speak, to to publish. And so what Allison's talking about, right, is now we're on recording our sixth year. We're now about to actually launch. Uh, so we're excited and working through all that. And uh, that in itself is a learning process and 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 fun. So... No, I know, Allison, you've, you know, so many things going on this week. So I, I thought, you know, I, I loved that. Yeah. You, you still did this. There was certainly no pressure if we wanted to, you know, delay or anything, but I, I think it's a good sign that we both are finding the time. It's great. Yeah. I'm loving it. So Mark, remind us what our word is for this week. Yes, absolutely. Our word this week, everyone is production. And it's funny, if you've been a regular listener, um, one of our passwords was highway. And I, I will admit, Allison, this feels, it felt at first highway-ish to me in, I don't know, in like a, I can't even pin it down, in just a, a level of I mean, like industry and, and industrial things and production and highways. And I don't know. I don't know if you felt that way. Did you? At all? I, I didn't. I think when I initially saw the word um, last week, because I, I I ran the generator last week, I kind of had a little bit of a sinking feeling that it was another kind of in that vein, but then quickly thought, gosh, there are many, 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 many directions to go with production that can be applied to things that aren't industrial. Yeah. Um, so, so I was, in fact, I think I even rated it higher than you did. Um, uh, yeah, I have it here. You rated this six. And I rated it five. Yeah, you're right. Excellent. Well, I'm excited to see where we go. Should we roll our die? Absolutely. 
All right. Shiny red die. <laughs> what? Sorry, I dropped it. Oh, I got a two. Oh, so did I. We tied last week, didn't we? Or the we week did tie last oh, week. Oh, that's funny. All right. Going again. Oh, I got Six. a two. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. So I will jump in then with my... Um... Hold on. Let me get my clock, uh, my timer set up oh, for of you. Of course, of course. So you'd think, so folks, that I reminder? would have done this. Oh, no worries. Are just the hits. We constrain ourselves to 15 seconds to try to both define the word a little bit, but also hint at where we're going. All right, Mark. Uh, three... Two, one. Production is the act of bringing something forth. When looking at that through the lens of industrial production, we can look at modern manufacturing innovations as a source of inspiration and optimism for the future. You had one second left on the Ooh, clock. It's holding it right I've, next to the microphone in case it buzzed on you. Best I've timed it. Um, okay, so you did go down the industrial path. I did. I actually, I hooked into it. I, I embraced it because although that felt, um, yeah, like the, Ooh, all right. Kind of like highway. I, I didn't mind highway. Um, but yeah, I actually was able to, to, to turn this around and, and, and hook into things. I think coming out of like a darker time last week, just in like our vibe about the words and so on. Um, yeah, I'm excited where I went. Excellent. Well, I, it, that is not the direction I went. So once again, we did not align, which I, is good or else we'd have a much shorter podcast. Right. Well, it'll be interesting the day that we had like exactly the same vein of research. All right. I've got 15 seconds on the clock and go. Primary production is the synthesis of organic compounds that occurs primarily, but not exclusively through photosynthesis, which uses light as an energy source and almost all life on earth relies upon it. So today we're going to go down the food chain. Oh, like exact. I dig. Hey. Down the food chain. The ant hole, the food chain. The glory hole glory and the food hole. chain. How did I forget? I don't know. You're trying anyone to block who, it out. Anyone who missed that episode and you're wondering why we're talking about glory holes, go back a few. <laughs> um, what was that? Episode four. Yes. Episode four. I'll never forget that. It. It's a special <laughs> place in my heart. Neither will our audience. Um, <laughs> excellent. No, I, I, I kind of love where you went. And I even, you probably can't tell from what I talked about, but we are going to be talking about sort of similar things for a little bit it's going to cross over a teeny bit excellent sort of you'll see um good i i love how you, you went yeah basic building blocks of life type of thing um that's very very cool and i'm excited to see where you're going to go but first you're going to educate us absolutely all right so going down my rabbit hole here so like like settling in get your tea ready audience uh -oh. hot chocolate get into your chairs I'm leaning back in my chair for anyone who can't see me just so uncomfortable. no I, I have some like you know uh i know sometimes we do this sometimes we don't it won't always happen but um i have some trivia questions for you to sort of break up me getting going but i'm gonna pause actually audience just to say right this 
I never want to come across like, I know this stuff. This is all stuff that I've learned, right? So this is never about Allison and I being like, look at all the stuff we know. Please, I wish that were true. Uh, this is, I'm excited because every week I am learning an incredible amount of stuff. Um, like just, a, just packing a lot in, I think. And I think with that, as we've mentioned in some of the previous episodes, we're going to run the risk of getting something wrong or misconstruing something. That's funny because I mentioned misconstrue in a previous episode. Um, but that's where we invite you to reach out to us, uh, renownedpodcast.com. We are at Renowned Podcast on like social media everywhere. Maybe not quite everywhere, but on Instagram, Twitter, we're going we're gonna to try out TikTok. Um, so yeah, if you hear anything here that is either completely off the rails or you don't agree with because it's your passion and it's your, your field, maybe even, then let us know. Um, but we are loving, I, I don't know, I love, I just picture myself like diving into this stuff, right? Rolling all around and learning a bunch of stuff and then bringing it here. So I don't know, Allison, if you feel the same. Like, No, I do. And I was just thinking today, actually very similar to what you're saying that it is so fun. It's part of what makes this process fun. I think, even though it's work as well is like suddenly learning all this new stuff. And then you peel back one layer of the onion and you want to learn more. And then there's a different direction. But I was, I was considering today, probably when I was in the shower, like, I wonder six months from now, if you like asked me something very specific about something I learned, you know, on the science side, if I'm even going to remember, like remember it. No, that's true. And I think there's a fear that you, you just won't, or like we put so much pressure on ourselves to like immediately like integrate new knowledge and be able to like use it at the drop of a hat. So I share that with you. I think there's there's that fear. I, I kind of feel like it, it helps me. It's a weird energy. I just like feel more connected and present and therefore I'm sure my brain is just operating much different, like a bit differently, not much differently, but I just feel like there's more neural connections and like both social and academic bridges that I'm seeing in things over time. I think that's the I point. I love, I, I love that you said neural connection because I'm going to talk sort of about something like that. Um, But I agree with you. I think that a lot of the stuff, we've had different topics where I'm researching something, or I think I joked with you once, you mentioned the fertile crescent. I was like, ah, middle school social studies, like (laughs) it's bringing me back. And there are a lot of things I'm reading about and I go, oh yeah, I learned this in, you know, whatever grade. Like I remember learning about, you know, I mentioned photosynthesis, photosynthesis, but I couldn't have told you like, the actual chemical process. And now to your point, I think because I'm not just taking notes in a class and taking a quiz on it because I'm really diving in and connecting it to other things that I do. I do actually think I'm more likely to remember those details, Yeah. Um, yeah but we'll right. see. We'll have we'll to see. like, maybe like in a year we can like do a test. Oh my you know, gosh, we like, should. Some sort of like circle back. Uh, I don't even know what to call that. It's like an encore performance. It'd be like, like we'll uh, actually have to have one of our friends go through and like oh. make the questions for us. I don't know if we got to go that far. I'm just kidding. I'm always scared Mark's that I'll breaking just breaking out in a cold sweat. Fail, you know, pour my water all over my face. Okay. Um, okay. Yes. We should probably Let's jump, jump in. in. <laughs> all right. So at first I was tempted to look back at to the beginning of things as I've done, I feel like so many times in the past, right? When was the first, like <laughs> the first recorded products, assuming, you know, that we don't go all the Piled way back. Up. Oh my God. I'm just, just like, kidding. literally in my notes here. I was like the first, time, <laughs> the first time we brought something forth without going all the way back. Um, that's really funny that you just brought that up. Yes. The first <laughs> time we intentionally piled something together, were we producing it? 
probably, but well, no, um, I decided I not to go there. Um, although I did wonder, was it potentially, was it spice and other goods for the Silk Road? Was that the first time that you rather than, I, I don't know, you know, if, if we're picturing small tribal communities in human history, I, I would assume at some point you were even just having production of things for within that that small community that's still production so i was trying to get a, a my hook into this like what i wanted to look at and then i i thought about the silk road you know that i learned was a seven thousand mile network of both terrestrial and maritime trade routes i always thought it was only terrestrial actually so that was something i learned that it was also maritime trade routes um and that that peaked between about 200 bce and about 1500 CE. Uh, I also thought, could I go down the industrial revolution route? I mean, that always is, I think, the most glaringly, like, uh, I won't call it obvious, that sounds like a negative connotation, but the, the most predominant, I think, um, example of, of production, certainly because of mass production and automation and things like that. Um, however, this week I thought I would um, sort of revisit our podcast mission in a bit, like even what you described, like our, our opening statement, Alice, and I thought, you know, I'm falling a little bit into that habit of going back in time. So is there a way that I can think about, as we say, does something, how does something foreshadow the future? And I thought uh, also the, the slightly bleak nature of our discussion last week, I thought I'd try to find some something to be optimistic about uh, when looking at the future, particularly of manufacturing and production. So I thought, where better to find the future and a sense of optimism and innovation than in startups? And so I looked. I thought at, you were going to say Star Trek. Star Trek, done. Sad now. Um, Just kidding. Um, and uh, and I took a look at a couple current standouts to see what capabilities and new techniques uh, they are bringing into the world. So first, trivia question. Uh, I borrowed this, everyone, from a NASA quiz that I found NASA offers to embed into websites. So I'm going to take a crack at putting the whole NASA quiz into our website for you. Oh, very um, cool. Uh, but in the meantime, this is one of the questions from that quiz. In the 10,000 years before the Industrial Revolution in 1751, carbon dioxide levels rose less than 6%. Since then, they've risen by A, 11%, B, 25%, C, 49%, D, 62%. 62%. It's 49. Okay. I did this again, again, though, because I thought it's got to be 49, because then there's going to be a high one, and I didn't follow the standardized test guidance we get since we're 12. I remember that. Go with your first thought. Well, like, there's also the the extremes versus word you're in the middle and all that. But I I, I try to be tricky in, in how I'm asking the questions too. Sometimes I, I do the extremes, sometimes I don't. I think listeners that Mark, so Mark, you mentioned in the past five minutes, like, hey, we don't know everything and we don't we never want to come off like that. But also like, is this stuff we talked about that we're going to remember? And then you feel like when you're researching, like, oh, there's just so much I don't know, or I still don't right, know, even right. after I've done it. 
I feel like you're trying to make yourself feel better by making me look dumb with no. the quizzes. I'm kidding, everyone. Absolutely I love a quiz. Oh I'm just kidding. I wanted to freak Mark out. Um, no, you can imagine I think everybody, Allison and I, if you remember, have known each other for like 15 years. We, uh, we do have fun with game nights, but sometimes <laughs> it can get intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark's just like uber competitive. Aww. I'm not. I am a little bit. With myself. I'm kidding, because I'm... Healthy. I'm anyway. notoriously crazy. So, okay. So, yes. so 49%, 49% since pre-industrial revolution. Yes, carbon dioxide level. So let's get a little bit into a company, a startup called Sky Nano. Sky Nano is a US-based, this is a direct quote actually, and then I'm going to break it down for us. A direct quote from their website, Sky Nano is a US-based clean tech startup mm -hmm. that utilizes carbon emissions as a chemical feedstock to manufacture high-value functional materials. Now, there's a lot in there, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna break it down for us overall. And first of all, I'm just gonna give you what I take as the quick hit. Right, overall, Sky Nano is sucking up carbon dioxide pollution and converting it into something safe that can be used to support manufacturing of other materials. So when you hear something like a chemical feedstock. That's kind of like, I think, a fancy way of saying, I mean, unless it's very specific to an industry and I'm, I'm treading over this, but I think it's just a fancy way of saying this is becoming a, a supply item, um, uh, an input item to build something else. So let's break this down a little bit, this statement again. So clean tech, I took a little look at that. I figured I knew what it meant, but I, part of this podcast is I don't want to just assume, like, does this mean anything in particular? Uh, my understanding here, you know, reflects that the impact of this is a service or product. Um, it's the impact of the service or product that they're doing, but also the environmental impact of the procedure that they're taking. So th think of it as what they do is helping the environment, but also how they do it avoids harming the environment. So we have to think of a company in terms of its overall net impact. And forgive me, folks who are very passionate and know this topic, you may sound like I'm talking down to you. I don't mean to be. Um, this was stuff that I was learning and ways that I was picturing it. So I hope this helps folks that are maybe newer to, to this type of thing. Um, so for example, here's an example of I drafted of, of like net impact. Say that I, Mark Schultz, decide I want to go collect and recycle 25 kilograms of plastic trash from a lake. That's positive impact. But if I drive a gas-guzzling SUV a thousand miles to do it, then I've more than erased the positive result of my actions, and I've had a net negative impact. Good intentions don't count, <laughs> right? I may want to be doing that, but you know how I've gone about that. And so, although that's sort of a, I don't mean to make it a dumbed-down example, that's a kind of a microcosm of major patterns that massive companies can be taking if they're only looking at certain parts of what their, their outcomes are or what their products are doing and not looking very closely at their overall right processes and procedures. That's why you have to be careful when some buildings say they're green, but then if you look at how they actually treated the materials that they tore down, et cetera, et cetera, they might not be as green as you think. But I don't mean to ramble, <laughs> but I do anyway. Um, so Sky Nano. They say that their process is clean and we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to why their process is clean in a second. So, so what are they doing cleanly, right? What exactly is, is it that they're doing? So as we said, they're, they're utilizing carbon emissions. What they do is they either extract carbon dioxide from the atmosphere or what's called from a flue gas. That's an exhaust vent from a process that's generating something that's burning and generating CO2. Um, so 
There's also some forms of concentrated CO2. I'm not super familiar with that other than like dry ice, but I'm sure there's concentrated forms of it somehow um, around that they're also using. So what they're doing is they're, they're fine. They have a process that splits the CO2 into carbon and a diatomic oxygen, O2. So that's what they're doing, right? And although this may seem really simplistic, and I think Alice and I both have these moments, at least I do, Alice, I don't want to speak for you, where I learned something, but then when I talk about it so publicly on the podcast, I feel like half the audience might be going, duh, this dude didn't know this. Uh, but, but I think to Allison's point, there's some things that sort of just, you know what I mean? Are you going through that too? I should pause and- that, I, I was just, I kind of muttered under my- Breath. Sorry, I forget sometimes no, that no, I need no. to be more um, direct, but constantly is what I said. Oh, you're like, doing that too? Oh, good. I feel like I'm not You know, I'll here. be talking. I, I, I'm i <laughs> either thinking, you know, someone is listening to this and going, oh, you're kidding me. You're excited that you learned this. Like, how did you not know this? Like I said, right. from, you know, middle school or my other thing then is I'm saying it and someone's going, oh God, there's so much more you're not talking about that you should be, you know, right. someone who knows exactly. a lot more. But so wow. everyone, I feel like part of the spirit of this podcast and, and the, the more we do it, I think the more that I'm enjoying it and just trying to like throw open that fear. Um, I've been a big, like, but on a therapy kick lately. And like, right, we live so much in fear about everything socially. And uh, at least for me, I just want to bring everything and say, yep, this is what I learned. I'm excited about it. Yep. There may be some of you out there right now being like, this guy's an idiot. Well, I'm enjoying it. I'm like, I'm learning something. I think for a lot of folks out there, you know what I mean? That, that this may be new information or a refresh or a lot of stuff coming back from junior high, as Allison said before. And I, I want to share something. I think I actually, I'm not sure if I just thought it or said it in our episode on shopping, but something you said when you were just talking about the net impact, which mm -hmm. is so important, right? Because you could be trying really hard to do something good and then the three things you have to do to get there like right. cancels it out. But there is a show, it's very well done, I think, uh, called The Good Place. Okay. And uh, I won't go a lot into detail for anyone who hasn't seen it because it is worth watching, but uh, it's Kristen Bell, Ted Danson, a bunch of other um, great actors. But there's one part, basically, the idea is that if you live a good life, you go to The Good Place after in your afterlife and then of course there's a not good place uh but at some point the characters so are trying to balance sheet exactly so they're trying to figure out the algorithm and in in this you know one episode they're kind of come back to earth and they're they're with a man who um he's doing everything right you know he only eats organic he never you know even kills a fly he does all these things and it turns out like his balance sheet is still way like he couldn't even get into the good place because of exactly what you're saying, Mark, because of net impact. And even if you're doing, so let's say I, I only want to eat organic because pesticides are doing so much, you know, bad to the world. And so I will actually like spend more money because I want to like have a better effect on the world. But then those organic tomatoes might need to be imported from a farm two states away because your state doesn't support organic growing methods. So now there's a carbon dioxide impact. So even yeah. with your very best intentions, right? We may need to circle back to the that. The road to for... hell is paved by, which is perfect <laughs> yes. for this, no, for this show. True. I was just yeah. thinking, um, and I don't mean to shut it down at all. I, mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought it up now while you're thinking. I'm done. It. We need mm -hmm. to absolutely dig into that because I already have like, that's those are big questions for later because- 
I'm already like agreeing with you, but also part of me can see that being problematic to quantify everything because it's it is. so complex. It's impossible. That's Gosh, the thing. The yeah, complexity yeah. goes beyond. So you have to kind of, I think, decide on what are the key important things or what do you think from cost benefit analysis yeah. has a bigger impact? Is it carbon reduction or is it, uh, right. now I can't even think of another and example. And trust right? though, even though I just said, it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, even though I just said intentions don't, good intentions don't count. The spirit of continued good intentions will, I think, even if even if there's pluses and minuses and things are, are are complex to your point, I think that algorithm will skew much more positive if we're always conscious of it. You know what I mean? Even if we can't exactly. figure it out exactly. Exactly. Um, right. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Took us on a little side road. Yeah. A little, a little byway, if you will. <laughs> you didn't say highway because you hate highways. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Uh, so back to carbon dioxide. So Sky Nano splits CO2 into C and diatomic oxygen O2, as I said. So O2, this is what I was embarrassed to remember because I had to look it up. O2 is the form of oxygen that we breathe. We can also um, breathe single atomic uh, oxygen as well, but we, we by and large breathe O2, uh, which is also... Uh, important to the environment because at high altitudes, it plays a role in the oxygen ozone cycle. And so I'm actually going to take a little side, another little byway here to, to dig into this because I this was another example of, I love this process of me going, oh, I've known since I was a kid, the ozone layer is important and it's been threatened and et cetera, et cetera. But this was my opportunity to go, oh, this is so directly related to what Sky Nano is doing. Let me take a second to learn what the hell is happening up there again. So here it is, uh, audience, in a bit of a nutshell. Um, so in short, the cycle is how three versions of oxygen are in constant reaction with each other and with solar radiation. So when we think of the ozone layer and why it's important, it's because O, single atomic oxygen, and diatomic oxygen, O2. So I'm going to start calling these O1, right? Just one uh, atom of oxygen, and then O2. They can combine very quickly to form ozone, which is O3. So picture it that way, right? I'm going to talk O1, O2, O3. So that ozone, or O3, is able to absorb two wavelengths of solar UV radiation that are very important to be absorbed as they're coming in from outer space and the sun. And in doing that, that O3 immediately splits back into O2 and O1, right? O3 splits back into O2 and O1. However, simultaneously, keep in mind, right, that the, the all of these atoms are, and molecules are bumping into each other constantly. So as this is happening, if that O3 encounters a single O1 before it's struck by UV, it will form two O2s. So picture that, right? It's either you're an O3 hanging out, some UV radiation's coming at you hard and fast, but then uh, a single oxygen hits you and you're like, oh, never mind, peace, UV. I'm actually going to combine and split into two diatomic oxygen molecules. Okay. Uh, but this would happen, however, even though I just said that, like it's dodging away from the UV, that's actually going to happen a bit less frequently um, because free single atoms of oxygen, the O1s, are pretty low. They're a bit more rare. Uh, meanwhile, if two of these more rare, even though I just said they're rare, if they're up there, these two rare single O1 atoms, if they meet before encountering an O3, they'll form O2. 
So I know that's complicated and I, I kind of mean it to be just picture that there's constantly this, di- this dynamic equilibrium of O2s and O and O3s and O3 being hit by radiation and, and they're constantly splitting. But what's important is that, that, that dynamic, you know, equilibrium has been in place for billions and millions of years before we started to influence it. Right. So even though it's complex, the net benefit, the, the net reaction of that, as we've been talking about, is that you have enough O3s to have an ozone layer that is blocking a significant amount of these two types of UV. Is that clear? Allison, I need you to keep it me is. honest that it's clear. I will so say far. at one point I was starting Lost. to just go, okay, O2s, O3s, O1s. But yes, it is very clear. We, we have more O2s than we have O1s and they get yeah. ultraviolet light, they combine, but you might right. have the rare O1 and then and yeah sorry yeah go ahead I was no just i was just gonna say and the, no no no, you're, you did a good job and but what's most important right is that you have enough o3s to block the uv radiation but yes you've got a lot of these other constant combinations happening with the o1s the o2s and the o3s so yeah if anybody else felt uh overwhelmed by that which i was when i was writing it and i'm sure i'm trying to describe it clearly but just know everything's bumping around and changing but we need enough of those O3s to exist in that process to be protecting us from UV. So uh, man-made, time for the man-made chlorofluorocarbons, has created an increase in chlorine and bromine atoms that wreak havoc on this dynamic equilibrium that we just talked about, right? And they thin out the availability of the O3s, therefore causing these the holes that we talk about, holes in the o- ozone uh, this O3 layer, where that therefore that UV radiation is not being absorbed by the U3s, and they're they're coming through to the Earth, and that is a problem. Uh, so we see that why this is both safe and beneficial. What Sky Nano is doing is they're you know they're producing more O2s, and they are taking CO2 out of the air. Right. So this influx of O2 is beneficial to make sure that you're kind of supplying through that process more O3 and, and, and some ozones, right? Okay. So that's why what they're doing in one way is, is very good. Uh, uh, they're, the exhaust, if you will, from their process of splitting carbon and O2. Uh, we looked at the O2, that is beneficial for many reasons, the impact and sustaining O3, but it's also, we're breathing it. And it would be nice if we continued to breathe as a species. So, <laughs> so, is the big question, right? Okay. So other than that, they're making carbon mark. Yes. But a certain type of carbon, that's really cool. So what I learned is that they're making carbon nanotubes or what's called CNTs, carbon nanotube. And they're very high quality and they're advantageous for a host of reasons. Uh, And again, Allison and I are pretty diligent about posting either in the episode notes or on the website where you'll get on the website, you'll get like full work cited, um, but you'll get like a highlight of things in our episode notes, things to check out, things that we particularly highlight. Um, so a lot of this information, you'll, you'll see the sources. But these carbon nanotubes, they're 400 times the tensile strength while being one sixth the density, therefore lighter than steel. Wow. So, right? Significantly increased from steel. If anyone's wondering what tensile strength is, that is not compression strength, but say pulling it apart rather than pushing it together. So I've been Uh, reading a lot. I think I mentioned this in a previous episode too, about, um, about oxidation. I'm reading this great book called rust, but anyway, one whole chapter was on steel and how 
the history of steel making and how they learned how to alloy steel and all of these things. So it's really interesting now oh, we're talking amazing. about whole you other materials. Yes. And that is the next benefit here. So although I just mentioned oh, it's stronger and lighter, I didn't mean to it's jump very, no, 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 no. That's a perfect segue. Um, it is very chemically stable. Therefore it's highly resistant to corrosion and only so, right. Everything you just talked about, it's not going to just rust. Uh, it mentioned it would need very, very hot, like very high temperatures and oh, I better screw it up. Either water or ox, I can't remember, to to have some corrosion, but it's not going to just rust like steel out in the air like we see all the time. Uh, the tube structure itself, though, also, it is literally a tube. And so picture as a tube structure, you can put other things, other nanomaterials inside it, like a packaging and whatever it's you like put It's like a little cannoli. It, it's... It's seriously a very strong, very light <laughs> cannoli um, that is so small that you can use that particularly in nanomedicine. So because that shield, it's a, it's a very, you know, being a strong cannoli, that cream inside there, whatever you put inside is uh, protected and shielded and can therefore be transported and used and delivered to, um, to certain sites chemically, right? Drugs need a, a mechanism of action and they have to be often put very particular places to have an effect. If anyone's curious, I work in pharmaceutical marketing. So if I go off on medicine tangents, that, that may happen now and again. Okay. So has anyone done this before? Well, not like Sky Nano, apparently. And, and here's a reason why, you know, are they better? Why are they getting uh, attention? Um, what's, is their process unique? So another reason that they're positioned for success is that this method of splitting the CO2 and creating these uh, nanotubes is, is much more energy and cost efficient than their predecessors, right? So splitting CO2 methods require usually in the past, a very high intensity of heat and required fuels to be burned in turn, which were producing harmful emissions. So think back to my driving the SUV to the lake example, right? This, these past examples were driving a pretty big SUV to the lake on their way to making carbon nanotubes. Um, and due to the high energy, right? Not, not just the emissions that were bad because of the high energy and input needs, those older CNT technolo technologies were resulted in very high costs. So someone interested in buying a ton of uh, like one ton of carbon nanotubes right now, the, or in the past would spend about $200 per kilogram. And I did the math that would come to about $182,000 for a ton of it. Uh, however, Sky Nano is using a different approach, right? So they're using what they call electrolysis of molten carbonates rather than like high um, heat processes. And so it's solving for both the emission issue and the cost problem. So I'll, I'll kind of clarify why. Um, so the electrolysis here, folks, um, it, you know, this is not the electrolysis we hear all the time in terms of like removal of body hair from heat. From an electric current. It does use electricity, but in a different way. Uh, this is electrolysis. It's, it's a method by which you pass an electric current through a body of liquid, and you therefore decompose molecules that are present um, in the liquid. So for example, to decompose CO2, this would be pulling the C from the O2. So this electrolysis approach is providing a way for Sky Nano to A, not burn the fuels or drive that SUV, so to speak, to emit harmful emissions. And two, 
it's a much, it's actually an older, it's on their website, they share that electrolysis of the type that they're using has been studied since around 1900. And the energy needed is, is much lower. I think they explain, I'm not going to have this in context, so I don't fully understand it, but they, their claim is it only takes four electrons to split this in their process. I don't have any scale for that, but apparently they consider that like super low energy. Um, I just like to picture that there's a lot of physicists listening to us right now, Allison, nodding their heads going, yeah, that's pretty good. Four electrons is nothing. Uh, I hope that's true. So the result of this is that Sky Nano can reduce the cost of creating a ton of CNT down to $50 per kilogram versus 200. Now I, I want to, I do think I'm not saying Sky Nano is being shady by any means. That is absolutely not what I'm saying, but they are comparing in this paper that I found the cost of buying it on the market of $200 per kilogram versus the cost for them to produce it of 50. That is not the same. You're not, that's apples to oranges a little bit. However, you would assume that people are not currently marking up, up for a profit margin of 400%, right? So the fact that Sky Nano can bring the cost down to like 50 bucks, they'll probably sell it for a bit of a profit, but not all the way up where you'd be selling it for 200, right? So the net net of this is it's much going to be much less expensive uh, on the market to, to sell than, than the dirtier, so to speak, more e emission-based uh, process. Okay. So in short, Sky Nano uh, seems to be uh, kind of rock stars and really inspiring from what I've read so far. And on just a very final note, I, their their star does seem to be rising. They've been selected. There's a, a press release on their website. They've been selected to receive $2 million in funding from the U.S. Department of Energy and Advanced Research Projects, which is called ARPA-E. And the goal of that program is to increase the total amount of carbon stored in buildings. So to create basically carbon sinks, meaning that those, those buildings would absorb more carbon from the atmosphere and the way that they're made uh, than released during the construction process. Does that make sense? So because you're using these, and they, they wouldn't be alone in this, they're, they're partnered, uh, Skynona, with a couple other folks, but basically you're putting these types of clean carbon strong materials that are net positive for the environment all into a building. So each time you're building one of these buildings, there's no SUV being driven, so to speak, right? At the net, of, uh, the net positive. Um, so yeah, um, trivia question number two, Allison, jump right into that as we move slight, switch gears slightly to one other uh, partner. Uh, well, I, I guess before I do a trivia, you seem like you were kind of nodding along, Allison, just any general, not to put you on the spot, reactions to Sky Nano? What do you think? No, I, I I was just thinking near the end there. And so it's really exciting. Like you said, we, we've had a number of topics where we've found out some pretty disheartening information about the world in various ways. And it's really nice to hear a story about right, a company yeah. that's doing such amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was so happy to find, you know, uh, several examples of, of really cool startups that are doing this, this type of thing. So I, I picked and choose, right. And I found two that I thought were interesting, but, but different, um, in their approach. And, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I left learning about Sky Nano with just this, like, yes, you know, they're, and they're working the angle of, you know, they're making capitalism work, right. They're, they're finding a way to sell things cheaper, be successful for themselves, but the net net of their operations are so positive. So it's cool. 
so far. You know what I mean? Like there's always, I, I was looking for the marketing speak. I'm a marketer. I was trying to, to find like, mm, is this truly, but it really seems very, um, you know, legit. And, and do you want to like, do you want to give, we always hear these on podcasts and things, right? Like, is there a standard, um, what's, what is the word? Something you should say to be like, I am not a member of this company. I am not oh, getting right. paid by this company. No, I'm not trying to advertise true. for this company. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good, it's a good thing. We should probably put that as like a, a disclaimer everywhere. So folks, yeah, but Alice and I are completely, you know, independent. Um, uh, I mean, I I do work for a company, but nothing to do with with anything that we're talking about. And I guess if we ever were to stray into that, I I would disclaim if I had any um, conflicts of interest. But uh, yeah, don't know Sky Nano. Uh, but if anybody who knows them or is listening or works there and wants to reach out, I think also now I would love to like hear more. I think one thing we're considering, um, not hard and fast plans, but I think we'd be open to it. Is you know you know, coming back to some of the topics that we cover in mm -hmm. some of our episodes, especially if there are folks that reach out and we get more information or we could sit down and chat with folks and maybe have some interviews or things like that. It'd be fun. I would love to talk to some people that can give a little bit more color and depth and, and honestly, correct me if I butchered something um, from Sky Nano. I think that'd be cool. Absolutely. Good thinking, Elsa. <laughs> <laughs> Look me up and be like, why is the CEO of Sky Nano? I'm not. <laughs> I wish I was. Uh, okay, so, um, so trivia question number two, Allison. In 2021, the global autonomous mobile robot, or AMR, right? I'm going to start that again. In 2021, the global autonomous, autonomous mobile, mobile robot. robot. Hang on, listen. Oh no, 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 no! I just figured, you know, <laughs> our audience more for the audience too. Uh, that market was valued at 1.6 billion US dollars. What value is this predicted to reach by 2030? So Did 1. you say 1.6 million or billion? Billion with a B. Billion. Okay. Yeah, all of these are billions with a B. Um, so, what is this 1.6 predicted to reach by 2030? Is it A, 3.5 billion, B, 7.2 billion, C, 12.6 billion? Or D, 22.2 billion? I want to say that it's B or C, and I'm going to go with C. It's actually the highest in this case, 22 oh, amazing. billion. Yeah, it's an it's That's an why almost... I leaned like a little further with B and C, just because what we've seen, like when we did, when I was talking about ants and like swarm robotics and nanobots, yeah. and we were seeing stuff that had kind of been actualized in the nineties, but now is really being put to use. So I was thinking, okay, it's gotta be high. That's really remarkable though. Yeah. I, I ran the math and that is an almost 1300% increase, uh, or in other words, about 160% increase each year for eight years. Uh, it's yeah, wild. So the company I would like to talk about uh, is called Gideon Brothers, and they are a Croatian startup. I think, Allison, you just visited Croatia, didn't you? I was there in June, and I highly recommend it. It's one of the most beautiful countries I've ever seen. Amazing. Yeah, I think I'm going to put it on my list for sure. Um, so a Croatian startup that provides scalable uh, and easy-to-use uh, handling and, and automation materials for industrial workflows. So the startup uh, integrates... They have uh, an approach to taking 3D vision for their machines and teaming it with AI, so artificial intelligence, and machine learning, which is often overlaps, uh, to, to build them into these autonomous mobile robots. So 
when you take that approach, when you pair the cameras with 3D vision and you make them that smart, able to continue to learn and to adapt, you end up with machines that can you know, not only see, but begin to truly actually, in a way, understand their environment and therefore move across floors, um, both indoors and outdoors to complete tasks in a way that they are in, you know, much safer to work alongside humans. And I loved this term that I learned this week, collaborative robots or cobots. And so I've seen cobots a lot in this, this manufacturing uh, lingo and, and, and vernacular. Uh, so the machine learning and the AI capabilities of this, these Gideon machines takes these complex movements and it, it seems to be what's setting Gideon apart. You know, so for example, looking at some of the things that they've just released, I love the names. They've released two products that are called Casey and Trey. <laughs> so Trey is, is something that automatically and, and independently can unload trailers. So taking trays, like picking up pallets, a trays, large trays, right? Moving them across floors. Um, I watch these amazing like 3D um, simulations where you are a person in a 360 degree environment. You can kind of move the camera. And if you suddenly hear this beeping to your left, you just turn and you can see a little tray moving a pallet, beeping and kind of going slow because it's next to you. Aww. And then when it gets clear of you, the light stops beeping and it starts to move faster and goes off and does his thing, his or her thing, picking up a pallet, moving it to you know a set spot. It was very cool to just sort of watch this and, and picture as this is happening potentially 24 hours a day in a in a in a uh, a factory. It's, you know, it seems like such a wild increase to productivity and, and whatnot. However, folks, you may immediately be thinking, did someone, did that take someone's job? We'll get there. Um, so that's Trey. Their newest product is something called Casey, dealing with cases of things. I love Casey and Trey. I like totally down with this. Um, so uh, this is a new device that can automatically handle what's a, a term in manufacturing, apparently called case picking. And there's a big impact for e-commerce. Picture the, and I was not aware of this, the, the differences between unloading a trailer, which is a bit dumber, so to speak, it is physically there's a movement there and it needs to know where to put things. But a different thing altogether is when, say, we order something on Amazon or another e-commerce site and therefore on you know wild, long rows of shelves, you need to pick the right box out of a whole thing. So case picking is you know a bigger deal than um, anything else. So these AMRs have been found to increase productivity, but like 50% on tasks like tray, where you're moving pallets around and unloading things. And by up to 150% when, when Casey does things like going and picking a box automatically off the shelf, right? Which is a higher process thing to actually see, make sure you have the right box, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you can see how humans would fall down on that a bit more. So there's more opportunity to increase that, which is why it's like 150% for case picking. Um, however, I saw, you know, as I wrap up here, the, um, there are examples of even quote unquote, dumber AMRs, things that are not physically moving things like Trey or picking things up like Casey. Uh, I read an article from 2019 in a publication called visions system design, sorry, vision systems design reports on, uh, safety improvements in particular experienced by a plastics manufacturer in Indiana, where at one point 
picture all these uh, stations on a factory floor, they'd be building and their final product would come up. They'd not only be putting finished products, stacking them up next to them, but there'd also be maybe some uh, refuse or, or, or output from waste output from the process that they're putting somewhere else. And so as that was happening, this company avoided AMRs, these robots, you would have men, you know, men or women driving forklifts in the same space where everyone's working. So it just gets cluttered. You have forklifts moving around, therefore that is dangerous. So what they ended up doing was a quote unquote dumber AMR is just basically a rolling cart that knew and was programmed to constantly cycle around and show up at each worker's station, hang out for like 90 seconds or two minutes, who knows, and then move on. And so what that just allowed them to do was to move as they're finishing things, it, they just get whisked away, both waste and finished products. And so what the the owners really loved and what they shared was, yes, we had, you know, as a company, they had delayed and didn't want to pick up the robotic, you know, uh, approach to things, but they love it because they were able to remove forklifts. They said that saves them on propane and things that are running forklifts. Uh, and it does save them, you know, on needing to hire people to run the forklifts. That's going to be probably part of our big question. Uh, figured you were going to right? into the big question. Um, so I wanted to share that. That That is the end. I, I just think it's kind of cool to see um, what that looks like. I did dig deep. I wanted to to challenge and find like sort of hard numbers on have there been studies done on the AMRs to show that the safety is significantly higher or is it what I think we all naturally worry about when we think of driving cars and automating anything that they can go haywire and no one's there to correct it and they're, right. they're more dangerous? Um, from what I've seen, it is safer, but I can't find like hard data, which I, I don't think is a surprise. It would be so pulled apart. Um, I don't know if anybody finds anything, audience, we'd love to, to, to have you submit it to us through social or, or anything. I'd love to to read it. But to, to close out my section, um, trivia number three, Allison, for you. A 2021 report from the Manufacturing Institute and Deloitte projects that 4 million manufacturing jobs will likely be needed over the next decade. How many are expected to go unfilled of those 4 million? Is it A, none, the demand for jobs far outpaces availability, or B, about 20% of that 4 million will go unfilled, C, about 50%, or D, about 80%? 20%. It's 50, believe it or not. Darn it, I have not gotten one right today. It's not my day. <laughs> so 50%, 2.1 million are expected to go unfilled. And the cost of those missing jobs is is forecast to be about $1 trillion just in the year 2030 alone. So that for me is, I think, an interesting uh, bit of, of information and data because we think, you know, your, our fear is, oh, they're just taking all these jobs from people that would have them. Well, there's going to be a massive shortfall of, of workers. So the influx of these uh, robots, I think, will be really helpful. Uh, and the, the last thing where I, where I left off in my rabbit hole, uh, there's a whole list of cool, inspiring startups. Maybe I'll post some others uh, on on the site. Uh, things like Exact Metal, 
which is doing really cool things in 3D printing using metal rather than plastics. Like almost exclusively all 3D printing right now happens with plastic polymers, uh, but exact metal has found ways to print with metal. And I think Allison, to steal one of your talking points, well, go ahead. What were you gonna say? Probably. I was gonna say, remember everyone, metal is almost infinitely recyclable, reusable. Exactly. So that is great news. <laughs> I thought of you when I, when I ran across <laughs> that. I was like, yes. Okay. That's my spot. That's my stuff. I love it. I'm I'm looking forward to the big question because um the sort of labor versus robotics, so human labor versus robotics, really interesting topic um to me. And one of the last big projects I did um when I was still a project manager was around robotics and automating work. So I did a lot of thinking around that. So that uh, that'll cool. be fun. Excellent. Um, but you'll have a lot more recent data there. That was great, Mark. I love it. Thank you for making it positive. I definitely needed that today. <laughs> for sure. You're welcome. I went in a very different direction. Um, love it. So we talked about, I did my little quick hit about primary production. And that is the actual phrase, right? So again, primary production is the production of chemical energy in organic compounds by living organisms. And those organisms doing... Uh, the synthesis and the creation are called autotrophs. And I don't think I'll forget that. That's one of those things I thought I probably learned that at some point, but I wouldn't remember, but now I feel like I'll remember it. Nice. I don't remember <laughs> that word at all. Interesting. Cool. So basically um, these autotrophs work with simple inorganic uh, molecules like carbon dioxide and H2O. So Mark, we're doing a lot of chemistry today. Quick aside, you know, between the two of us, my worst subject in school. I mean, by a long shot was chemistry. <laughs> it was so bad. Mr. Leister was my teacher in high school. I, I was terrified of that man. I could not wrap my head around chemistry. I love biology, chemistry. I think I got a D on like one time. I never got a D in high school until we got to chemistry. And now we're both talking about all these different molecules. Okay. So Basically, um, these autotrophs take carbon dioxide, water, and they synthesize more complex organic molecules. And so the end point of this initial synthesization is a reduced carbohydrate. Think like a glucose. So that's what's created. And from those reduced carbohydrates, more complex molecules that are critical to life can be built. Proteins, lipids, nucleic acids, more complex carbohydrates, that sort of thing. And so then these more complex molecules are then consumed by heterotrophs. So heterotrophs consume what the autotrophs make. Heterotrophs are just organisms that can't synthesize their own food. And then up the food chain, it goes, right? So Let's say if you're a vegetarian, you are eating plants, you are eating, they are synthesizing the food for themselves and for you. If you are not a vegetarian, you're eating animals, the animals are eating the plants, right? So this is the basis for just consumption on earth. Uh, Allison, what are the two trophs? What are the the prefixes again? Just such a language word. Yeah, there's an autotroph and those would be, for instance, the plant's through photosynthesis. Got it. Synth- Auto, I'm assuming they're doing it on their own. Right. And then there's heterotrophs. Got it. Which can't do things you said on their own. Is that Correct. It? Ah, okay. And hetero meaning they're of different types, I'm assuming, rather than all. Yeah. 
I assume. Cool. I don't know. Cool. What's funny is I was like, I should dig more into the words. And then I thought, Mark will just do it. So <laughs> no, I don't I have this. to. And you cool, you cool. Sorry to throw you off your, uh, your don't know. Uh, I love it when we have the conversation. So on <laughs> land, um, almost not quite all, but almost all primary production comes from vascular plants tiny bit comes from some mosses and, and algae, but almost all of it comes from vascular plants. Vascular plants are just plants like anything you can think of a shrub, a tree, a flower, plants that use a vascular system to uptake water and minerals right within themselves um, via photosynthesis. And that of course is the process um, by which plants and algae and mosses and uh, cyanobacteria, so a few other organisms convert light energy into chemical energy. And later through cellular respiration, this energy can be released to fuel the organism's activities. Um, now I'm gonna add another troph here. You got your autotroph doing the work. You got the heterotroph eating the work. If you are an autotroph who does this through photosynthesis, you are a photo autotroph. So that's easy. That's an easy you know, etymology. Um, so photosynthesis is largely responsible for producing and maintaining the oxygen content of the Earth's atmosphere. So Mark, I don't know how we went two different directions, but we are talking about a lot of the same things here. <laughs> um, and it, of course, supplies most of the energy necessary for life on Earth in general, right? Because everyone else is eating what the plants are creating or breathing what the plants are creating. I'm assuming it's giving off the O2, not single atom O, but maybe you'll get I there. I believe it's O2, but I'm not going that nope, deep. No so we'll have to look that up. Okay, so that, that's the basic process. And that's where I'm going to stop with the whole chemistry biology thing. I just wanted to do a basis of like why I went down this. So this idea of primary production with our word production. So here we are as human beings at the top of the food chain, right? We're consuming um, everything that plants offer us. Or is that viruses? <laughs> well, no, I fully agree. Cause I was going to say one of the top of the food chain. Cause also I was thinking like sharks and bears, but yes, viruses may be the ultimate. Um, but so I think as human beings, we have this sense we've touched on this in other episodes. So we're, we're at the top of the food chain. We have language, we use tools, we have consciousness, right? So you'd have a lot of human beings who feel like we are, the ultimate in terms of a developed, you know, species. Like on a good the most day, complex. on a good day, I have all those things. <laughs> um, but here's the thing: so these photo autotrophs, and then specifically, I want to talk about trees. Um, here's the thing: trees talk to each other. So these organisms that are critical to us being able to do all these other things we do and be at the top of the food chain have a lot more going on than we thought. Now, using the word talk is a little problematic in the scientific community. It's heavily debated, uh, but we'll get into more detail. Communicate is a better word. Um, Signal something. <laughs> but I'm going to get into that. And I'm going to tell you about all the other things that these primary producers also produce as they get down to the business of surviving and thriving. Um, so when they do communicate, apparently I read an article, the main topics that they discuss are distress and alarm. And it just made me giggle. It's not funny. Like the poor trees are trying to signal distress and alarm, but I thought, yeah, that's a lot like humans too. <laughs> like I want to bitch to you about something. Cause Wait, I'm I don't want to go like, or... <laughs> down the crazy hole, but I think that's because we are encoding and have to understand what they're doing. So we as humans will consider it 
risk Correct. versus safety. So we're calling it distressed income. But, but, no. but they are too, because it's either something that's going to damage them or not. Sorry. Yeah, but no, but that's a good point. Um, <laughs> one, just like aside, there's a quote from a Smithsonian article. I'll link the article as usual on our website and in our show notes. But one scientist say that when they're looking at trees communicating with each other, that it, this is a quote, it plays out like a stage drama. I just love that because they're starting to see all the different ways they communicate. It's not limited all to one or two. All the world's a forest. <laughs> exactly. And we are merely heterotrophs. So like a quick aside there, the other direction I was strongly considering. So I, I very early on knew I was going kind of in one of two directions. And the other one I was really, really interested in considering production from a theatrical perspective and talking about dramaturgy. So I really am obsessed with dramaturgy. That's a little too strong. I'm not obsessed, but I didn't even know that like, a dramaturg has existed until probably the past decade or two. Like, honestly, I had no idea. And then once I found out there's like a job for someone to work in the theater and make sure things are historically accurate and think through all the implications. Like I didn't oh, yeah. know that. I and studied I think that it's so amazing. You'd be an amazing dramaturg. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I just thought I want to do that job. Why didn't anyone tell me, you know, in career fairs <laughs> that that was a job? Wait, are you about to tell me that as this dramatic showdown, well, not showdown, but thing is happening in the forest that there might be directors, there might be drama, like. There are. are. No, I'm just kidding. There oh, are okay. Not. No, well, but like. Actually, I wonder if there are certain uh, types of. I can probably make some analogies here on some of the stuff we're going to talk about, but yeah, that's not where I was going. I just wanted to throw in like that facilitators or something. Right. There, there, are, there are facilitators and we're going to talk a lot about them actually. Uh, but yeah, so I just thought I'd throw that in. I knew you'd appreciate it, Mark, with your theater background. And yes, I'm already picturing just... the, the super neurotic type of tree that <laughs> screams loudest about threats, which is probably the Mark tree. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, are you reflecting there yourself? <laughs> okay. So there is a growing body of scientific evidence that trees are communal. They form alliances, even with other tree species. Like all communication is not necessarily just intra um, species um, and that they have collective intelligence. And I think none of this should come as a huge shock to anybody because I think we're all used to thinking of forests as ecosystems. That concept isn't necessarily new, but the details of how it works are, are what science is really starting to delve into in the past couple of decades that's really interesting. So there's a terrific book um, that we will, of course, link. It's from 2015. It's called The Hidden Life of Trees, and it's by a German forest manager. He previously worked for um, the forestry industry in Germany, but I think in service of the lumber industry. Now he manages a forest. He's a professor, and he's really changed his uh, approach with trees. But his name's um, Peter um, Volobin, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's really written for the layman. He cites a lot of scientific studies. He's not just out there, you know, willy nilly writing about like trees talking to each other and and putting on plays. But he also does anthropomorphize more than some scientists are comfortable with. But what's great about the book is it's it's um, it's incredibly charming, but it's so interesting I'm going to talk about some very specific things, as I mentioned, how trees produce a number of things as a way of communicating. But he talks about a lot more about trees that that is really, really interesting. And so I highly recommend the book. I have but to swoop in with the popular culture commentary because I cannot stop the constant stream of uh, visuals from the films. So basically the Ents and the trees and all of J.R.R. Tolkien's approach to to that nature and the, and they the speaking to them and everything is 
rather ahead of its time and and such a not just a, a very pro nature thread in that work but it's just wild to now think of that in light of what you're discovering here that's wild yeah actually i'm i'm going to i'll jump ahead to something i was going to i oh, was going to yeah. say this in my big question but i actually have multiple big questions but because you brought it up my first kind of funny big question was going to be to you do you think token knew all this when he wrote yeah. lord of the rings um because we have the ants you have trees and all sorts of um you know cultural ways that reflect this and it one of the things I read an article where a scientist was talking about it, like, it's almost like we have this mythological impulse as human beings um, about trees, where you see trees as wise, where you see trees as these stewards kind of things like the Ents, there's talking trees in the Wizard of Oz. You know, is that because we maybe understand at some fundamental level, we don't know why, that the ecosystems are there and we're a species that came up around them. So, yep, right. you and I went exactly the same place to token and the ants. Um, so let me just get back to where I was. Okay, so hidden life of trees. So, okay, trees are out there. They're exchanging nutrients with each other. They're sharing water. They're sending chemical war ah, chemical warnings. Um, so, sorry. Uh, I, because I scrolled down to be very excited <laughs> with Mark about token, I got out. So all these warnings. So there are primary producers, like I said, and they're producing all these other things, chemicals, hormones, electrical signals, fascinatingly sound. And I don't mean passively by like things passing through them, but we'll get to that. So they're producing all these other things. So let's get into some examples. So warnings. I talked about how someone mentioned they mostly talk about distress and alarm. But so warnings is, of course, a big one. There is a study from about four decades ago. This isn't a new study where um, scientists look at acacia trees in Africa and the giraffes who like to munch on the leaves of the acacia trees. And the acacias don't like that. They don't want the giraffes munching on them. So they produce and emit a chemical. It's ethylene, actually, that they that they pump out and they pump it out into the air. And then all the other acacia trees in the vicinity start producing the same chemical. So it's sort of a warning system to say there are giraffes in the area and they are, you know, eating on me and all the other trees say, oh, we don't want that. So I don't know if the giraffes don't like the taste or the smell. I was just going to ask you, like, do you, because yeah. it, in a way this, this sounds awful and dark, but it's like they can scream and they can worry, but they can't pull up their roots and run away. Exactly. So it is. Well, I had a lot of thoughts that like that. That'd be exactly. wild in a, in, a, in a multiverse. There's there's some there's some universe out there where trees can be like. Or they oh, just oh. haul off and smack the had giraffes. Of this. That's Peace. what I would really love to or, see. Or fight them. The warrior trees. Yes. The warrior trees. Okay. So uh, th there's something they don't like, but okay. The giraffes then move on. But here's the thing. They consistently move on either to trees greater than a hundred yards away. So scientists kind of know, right? The expanse of how far these chemicals are reaching or they move upwind to trees that are closer, but that, this is how scientists determine that these chemical signals are oh, so airborne. They, they are doing something to the giraffes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The giraffes definitely don't like the taste of a smell. I don't know oh, which. Oh, good, so okay. So on. that's where I was worried that they couldn't actually have an effect, but they are oh, doing no. something they, that They affects. do actually, okay, yeah. Cool, cool. And then the giraffes know, I got to get more than 100 yards away from here, or I have to move upwind. Thus, we know that these are airborne signals and that trees are reacting to them. So a very direct example of communicating, again, 
you know, you can call it talking, but talking. So that's why they don't move because then their neighbors a hundred yards away are going to come down and be like, Hey guys, what's fuck? (laughs) Pass the buck. Pass the giraffe. Water almost just came out my nose, but yeah, that's a good point. I love that. I saw it as them being like super helpful and you're saying, no, they're just trying to pass it along. They're like, go kill those guys. They look tasty. (laughs) Okay. So now critics, scientific critics will say that, there aren't any scientists saying, no, this isn't happening. Like this is well established, but they will say, look, there's no intention in this communication, right? So the tree is just upset. They're screaming, as Mark said, because something is eating them and they're, you know, just trying to get the giraffes away from them. They do not care where they go as long as they will stop eating them. But it does act as a warning. So this is where we go between what does the tree intend versus what is actually happening. And so, you know, yay for ecological systems and evolution, because it does work. It does work to protect protect the broader species. Um, There are other examples. So if it's not a giraffe, let's say we're talking about other species of trees that are being, you know, their leaves are being munched on by insects, you know, a caterpillar, for instance. Um, The trees can sense what kind of bug it is. And we don't know, this is where you say, can they taste like, or can they smell the type of saliva? We don't know. We're using all these sense words that would apply to us and not necessarily to the trees. And as I said, most of these studies are only in the past two decades. So scientists are still, you know, just trying to figure it all out, but they will then, if they sense that they're being attacked by a certain type of insect, the tree will emit certain pheromones, certain chemical signals into the air that attract the exact predator of that insect. So we know as human beings, a lot of our attraction comes from pheromones, right? Smells that we don't even know are happening. Same thing. The predators think, oh, that smells delicious. I want to be by that tree. And then they have a buffet of insects. It's really interesting how specific they can be depending on what they're being attacked by. It's not just a general like scream of horror. (laughs) <laughs> it's a scream and a bait and a suggestion. Exactly. It's a lot going on. Oh, so that also, just sparked a really exciting big question, but I'll save it for later. Oh, good. Uh, they also cooperate in other ways. And this is one that I think is so fascinating. And Mark, you mentioned neural networks. I'm not going to talk about neural networks, but I'm going to come to sort of a parallel. So a lot of trees have in forests have a symbiotic relationship with fungi. And so basically... Mark's laughing because he's thinking fungi. fungi. We're back to middle school. I know we're always going to be seventh graders for sure. So basically, microscopical fungal filaments will link up with the really like fine hair like root tips of trees. And then the fungal threads kind of penetrate the roots, envelop the roots, and then web out through the forest floor. And it connects to other fungi of their species who've made their own tree BFFs. So now you have a network across the forest floor, just under the soil. They're called mycorrhizal networks. Um, There are someone in the 90s, I think it was an article in Nature, called it um, the Wood Wide Web. (laughs) So I'm sorry. It's my my favorite thing. I need like a minute. That's a maze balls. Uh, (laughs) it's my favorite thing yes Uh, so now there's this wood wide web (laughs) (laughs) oh i'm gonna make you say that so many times um 
did you say cortisol, the end of that word, or was it cortisol? It's my cortisol. Cortisol, not cortisol. Okay. I thought it was like yeah. a similar stress thing. Okay, no. Yeah, no, but that would have been a great connection. Um, so now trees through this network, they can share, they can and do share nutrients with their peeps. They can send electrical messages, chemical messages to their brethren. And the fungi where all of this is facilitated through, and this is, this part's mind blowing. I, as I'm saying that I'm kind of realizing, I think I've said mind blowing way too many times in the past six episodes, because we learned so much. And then I go, Oh, this is mind blowing. Maybe I should find a new way to express that. Okay. So I like mind blowing the fungi, once they're integrated with the trees, they can actually manipulate the root tips to listen. Another one of those words that we don't know, you know, we should maybe use a more scientific word for, but scientists say it too. They manipulate the root tips to listen to the message that the tree is sending. And if that, if they like that message, if whatever the trees like screaming about or asking for or needs is also beneficial to the fungi, the fungi will produce plant hormones to aid the cause. So, so they will amping it up. They're amping it up, giving the tree what it needs that the tree might not have on its own. And then they're also forwarding on the communication. So other trees are getting the message that there's a threat um, or that something's going on. However, they all, they, mm-hmm. if they don't like it, what are they doing? Killing the tree? Moving on? It's like, it's a horror movie. No, they just, they just Not don't help. help. Oh, they just don't they help. Just I, I was don't help. help. I was really, I don't know why, how awful. I really wanted you to be like, if they don't like it, they slowly strangle them from the roots. Dark there, night for me, barely. There's actually an old X-Files episode where there's this giant fungal organisms, underground fungal organisms. I don't know what the records are. I mean, they can be massive. And then they emit this chemical that makes um, Mulder and Scully hallucinate and then they eat them. So nice. you're not too far off here. No, oh, there's also so, a movie called uh, Book, uh, originally called The Ruins. I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to find it. But it's this wild... Horror plant that uh, a bunch of American tourists, I think they're all American, get trapped in, and I'll, I'll post it. Sorry. Excellent. It's, I wonder. It sounds like it could. It's very been the fun, pulpy horror movie, but all about like crazy um, adaptive plants that are scary as hell. <laughs> I feel like the creators of the X Files used that for inspiration or something. It sounds so similar. Right. right. Um, so yeah, so the fungi are doing all this amazing thing. Fungi organisms can live up to hundred years. Trees of course can live hundred years or longer. So these are long-term long-standing relationships. And then the fungi are doing other, other nice things for the trees too. They're filtering out heavy metals from, from water and from soil. They're warding off bacteria. So bacterial attacks. So they're, they're doing great stuff for all of this great stuff they're doing for the trees. However, they demand payment. <laughs> so this is not just, they're not just saying like, well, I don't know, I can connect and make my, my own organism bigger. So that's enough for me. No, they, they demand up to a third of a tree's total food production. I, I mean, a very, that to me sounds like a very heavy load, right? 30%. Uh, but it's worth it to the trees because I don't know. Otherwise, Lower the fungi than my tax might- rate. Uh, and the fungi might strangle them to death otherwise. I'm kidding, but just because Mark said that. Well, it sounds like they're doing something nefarious if they're not paying up, probably. They're, pay- they're paying protection money to the fungi. The fungi are the heavies of the forest. The fungi. Pay it up. Okay. So we talked about um, electrical signals. So when trees are sending electrical signals, 
Uh, there's a scientist named Edward Farmer at the University of Lowe's. Farmer. Brilliant. Love that. Of course it's Farmer. <laughs> I actually okay. looked at I looked up his name like three times because I thought, am I like, did I write just... down Farmer? Because it right. No, but it is Edward Farmer. And he's a professor, a researcher at the University of Lausanne. I don't know if I'm saying that right in Switzerland. Lausanne, Switzerland, cool. Lausanne, yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Switzerland shortly. They they they're doing a lot in this space actually. Um, so in, in different ways, just around trees and plants. But he's basically compared the electrical signals that um, plants send. So when you have that insect biting you, you're sending an electric signal through your own organism, right, to say "ouch," and then it's triggering something, or you're sending it out through the, your network through this. Um, my cortisol network. Uh, so he's compared it to the animal nervous system. He said it, it works very similarly. And he's very clear. He's not saying trees have nervous systems in the way we'd understand it, but he's kind of explaining the mechanism by saying it's incredibly, incredibly similar. There's another scientist who's been working in this space for a very long time, since the 90s. She's at the University of British Columbia, which is a great place for studies of trees because it's one of, if not the only, like area of old forest growth, like the largest area of old forest growth in the world. Uh, her name's Susan Samard, and she's made similar discoveries around the interconnectedness. And she makes the point, like we are exposing the limits of the Western scientific method. Right. So just so so you have the guy in Switzerland saying this is very much like the human nervous system. I'm not saying it is. And then you have other people saying, well, trees talk to each other. Well, don't use that word. It anthropomorphizes them. And so she's kind of saying all these things are happening. And absolutely terminology is important um, when we're doing scientific studies, even in general, and how we communicate with each other. But we're hitting up against limits. And a few episodes ago, Mark, I think we talked about how the scientific method is inherently flawed because it's developed by humans. So this is an example where you see people doing hard science, not saying they, they shouldn't be using the method. They're, they're advocates of the method, but they're saying we're bumping up against some walls that is, you know, it's making this harder. Hmm. Um, you know, one of the things she wrote, this is a direct quote. She wrote, we don't ask good questions about the interconnectedness of the forest because we're all trained as reductionists. We pick it apart and study one process at a time, even though we know these processes don't happen in isolation. And again, that idea that from a science perspective, you need to create an experiment that's, you know, focused and is repeatable. But at the same time, when you're studying an ecosystem, kind of what you were saying, Mark, um, in a very different way, but there are so many pieces that can affect anything how do you tease those apart? So you right. were just looking at net net benefit from certain processes. And then if I'm looking at the forest and I'm only looking at the fungal interaction, I'm not thinking about three other layers that are part right. of that bigger system. But, and this is going to come off weirdly arrogant, but I don't mean it that way. I would almost challenge because it's going to be just because I'm not a specialist in this space, but I would challenge and I would challenge myself to also understand her perspective. But that quote you just said, that feels very normal to other like say understandings of of outer space and 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 far distant space we usually have to understand that everything is connected but if you don't hone in on one thing knowing that it is an isolation but use that as a way to understand other things like how we are looking at light to understand what's happening so far away around the, you know what i mean so i i see what she's saying but i feel like we have to start, we have to chip away at it. Although we're coming up against a wall, that one piece will slowly help us 
like oh yeah i agree i think she was responding specifically and like i said she she's not trying to like skirt science at all she's a hardcore scientist but i think she's just trying to say we're so busy battling each other over okay you shouldn't really be studying this in this way because it's anthropomorphizing and you're being too soft and you're you know doing this and she's kind of saying that's part of it that's not that's not her main point but she's like look there's no other way to do it these trees are communicating. So if you don't like that fact, I mean, this is just science. I'm not, you know, and we're not going down. To the It'll words, be but. interesting if at some point someone were to try to apply, like this is off there, out there, but uh, like sociology principles or things like that in a different sense as they're chipping away at this. You know what I mean? That would be weird. Right. To embrace right. it and well, be like, if they're communicating, <laughs> is there a psychology exactly. at play? You know? Right. Well, it's all fascinating stuff, um, I think. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have a ton of answers soon. So so a common refrain from multiple researchers in this space, it makes me laugh so hard. This is a direct quote, but others said it in different ways. We don't know how they do this. Like they just keep saying that, like they discover something and they go, we don't know how they do it. We just know they're doing it. Or, hey, we found out this new thing. Uh, we still don't oh, understand awesome. how they do it. Yeah, so it's yeah. really a common refrain. And I don't think we're going to have answers anytime soon because it's really hard to study trees. So they live very long lives generally. And because of that, their systems move at a really slow pace. And also think about it, like trees don't lend themselves to laboratory study, right? They're too big. Um, and also if you're studying an ecosystem, it's, it would be hard to have an entire forest in a lab. So getting answers to any of this is going to take a really so long time. So establishing controls is yes. difficult because you have so many environmental factors happening. By the way. That's exactly right. Um, and, and, you know, I mentioned also, they just move at a much slower pace than we do. So here's an example, any electrical impulses that are moving through their roots or moving as the result of, you know, they got the bite from the insect and they have to send an impulse so that another part of the plant can start producing a chemical. Um, those electrical impulses in plants move at about a third of an inch per second. So if you're getting bitten and your leaf is getting munched on by a caterpillar, it can take an hour for the chemicals that are needed to either attract predators or to taste really nasty and bitter to the caterpillar kind of reach back to the leaf. Because the trees, just think about the ants and token, they right. move very yes. slowly. Uh, they can't just do it. said good morning. <laughs> part of it. So to contrast that with humans, our uh, nervous system impulses move at about 50 meters per second, Mm. right? So I get a mosquito bite. It feels instantaneous to me that I'm watching it bite me. You know, I can still see the mosquito and I already can feel the pain. Um, It's over hundred miles per hour. So that's kind of the difference of of what's going on there. Uh, Okay. So just a few other notes um, I'll make about what else is happening. I mentioned like, what about smell and taste? Um, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, can they taste the saliva of the predators and then know how to trigger the right defense? That's very, that is like difficult ground, right? I don't think we can yet go down the taste thing. Uh, but we do know that some trees even register pain. So, I mean, they've done studies on this. Uh, beaches, oaks, and spruce have been the trees that have been studied, but the tissue around the bite that emits an electrical signal, just like us, like a pain signal within the body, 
Um, it's just a slower thing. Okay, so what about sound? That's like the area we haven't touched. What about sound? So there's a study by an Australian uh, professor and researcher named Monica Gagliano. And they the researchers were listening to trees to see if they could detect any sounds, even ones that are generally out of the auditory range of human beings, um, to hear anything that wasn't passive created like wind rustling through the leaves for instance and they could hear roots of trees crackling what they described as crackling almost like the sound you would hear from dead wood burning in a fire but this is live tree tissue and it was crackling specifically in multiple experiments at 220 hertz this is another example of like we don't know why we don't know how they do it but that's what's happening. And so there's ongoing studies today where like, how do trees create sound and why do they create sound? But one of the fascinating things they have discovered thus far is that uninvolved, so seedlings that are in the vicinity that are uninvolved in the experiment, reorient their root tips to point in the direction of the crackling when they hear it. So not quite running away, like you said, Mark, but at least actually yeah, yeah. actual movement to point in that direction. Um, so we have more there. Um, what else do trees produce in the sound? Um, I think this is horrifying. Um, very thirsty trees also scream, quote unquote, scream. That is definitely a word that's a little too anthropomorphizing for me. But scientists, so we're back to Switzerland, scientists at the Swiss Federal Institute of Forest, Snow and Landscape Research which is a mouthful, they've recorded these sounds. So basically, if the flow of water between the roots and the leaves is interrupted or impeded, um, these vibrations, these sound vibrations occur in the trunk of the tree. So some scientists call it a purely mechanical event. It, it, it's a measurable sound, but they're saying it's a mechanical event. Um, but if you think about mechanical events, and you know, I keep making the... Um, compare and contrast to human beings, for us to, to to speak and to make sound, you know, there's air moving down our windpipe and it vibrates our vocal cords. That's a mechanical event too, right? So you can have a purely mechanical event that actually is intentional. So again, we don't have answers here because these studies take a really long time. So are they crying in pain? Are they trying to send out a warning to other trees? Like, hey, drought's coming. We don't know. But we do know that these primary producers are producing all these other signals and impulses that support their survival, um, as well as the survival of the force. Um, in this debate, then, on are we are we anthropomorphizing too much? Are we treating the plants in our scientific studies kind of as objects or more as like humans? Uh, the author writes, you know, a, a quote. Here's a quote. I suggest a third way. Let's seek to understand plants on their own terms. They're fundamentally unlike us. Mute, rooted, and inscrutable. I think we can take mute off the table now, though, from when this was written. Uh, we need to meet the challenge of cultivating respect for organisms that are different from us in their separate and complex bodies, in their sophisticated interactions, and in their unfathomable fathomable lives. And I think that sums up nicely this this debate that's been going on in this space and also the challenges from a scientific perspective of studying these things in an organism so different than us, but one on which we rely so much. So I do think since there are primary producers that it would really behoove us to understand more yeah. about all of these processes that keep them alive and healthy. 
So there you go. That was a long, windy little food chain discussion. That. But that, no, it's that's so much to direction. think about and so interesting to me. Um, even just the end there, <laughs> I'm only giggling because I'm always quick to just be like, uh, conservatives, but <laughs> think of think of this, the either in pop culture or in classic stories or just in different uh, types of societies in, in human history, there has been to differing levels, a deference to nature and you know what I mean? From, from a very extreme respect and therefore cohabitation to, unfortunately, I think where our societies have come from, from a, just a thoughtless throw it aside and, and, and disregard the impact. Um, I think this type of evidence, at least where, where my mind goes is I can see incensing some people if it were to be slowly evolve over time. I mean, we have trouble in our own species building an inclusiveness environment for people who experience the, our own society and our own way of living as humans differently, you know, with people who just absolutely will not take the time to acknowledge and go out of their way to either respect or change or, or do something slightly different to, to respect someone else's perspective within our own species. So imagine if we were to try to um, build on this type of knowledge and almost in this like fantasy, almost in like the elves, almost in that type of or you know, Native American cultures or things like that, where there was such more of a respect. But go that agrarian is not the right term. That's that's um, farming, but that that much more nature respecting respecting. Where I think we talked about this maybe in one of our. If I'm not imagining this in one of our past uh, episodes, or maybe you and I talked about it, Allison, in another just in our personal lives. But I think there's a, a reason why. Like, oh, I'm bringing up this is our Marvel reference. It's been a few episodes, but the Wakanda. Um, and the uh, society is seen in the films as being very built, cohesive with trees, with nature, like in the in the architecture of the of this very advanced society. And I just think that is an interesting and probably important way that we need to go. You and I keep echoing the needs for for ecologically conscious things, but that I think goes all the way to the extreme of be aware that this communication is happening, even when you're ripping up a tree to build something, whether or not we need to still do that because we're overpopulating and we can't figure it out. That's something else, but we, you know what I mean? But like at least be conscious of it and be much more discerning when we tear into the environment. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, no, pops, but. I, that's actually perfect. So I'm going to, I'm going to actually jump ahead a little bit. Like I said, I had a number of big questions, so I'll, I'll just turn this into a statement, this one, yeah, yeah, yeah. instead of jumping into big questions so that you can, so we can turn it back to you. But, um, you know, I, I was going to just say like, where do we go? Exactly what you were saying. How do we regulate kind of the management of nature in a way that's more compassionate in a way that's more understanding? And even do we need to, and so believe it or not, we're back to the Swiss. So the Swiss constitution maintains that the dignity of creatures should be respected. This is written into their national constitution. Amazing. Focuses, of course, a lot like the reasons there were around like gene technology 
you know, science and that sort of thing, of course, like animal rights, but plants are living beings. They are included in this, in the constitution that they also have dignity and they have had their federal council, their federal ethics committee, uh, which is one of their federal councils actually like produce a report on this around what that means in terms of treating plants with dignity for their own sake. Meaning, you know, it doesn't matter. Like if we're saying, well, we need to, uh, we need the lumber here. So we'll do it in a managed forced way. Well, no, you're, you know, that, that doesn't work out. So it's really, really fascinating. As far as I know, they are the only country in the world that have dignity for um, living beings, including plants built into their constitution. Oh, that's amazing. And, and the, the progress we're making in synthesizing chemically proteins, meats, things like that slowly. I mean, perhaps we will, this is a complex thought because I was about to say, grow the trees we need. Well, we're already doing that, but like grow them in a way that is not the same as they're growing out in what can be argued to be a semi-conscious, if not almost conscious state of, of gets into the big questions, probably jumping right into it of how you define that, but they are well, responsive. Yeah. Well, this is interesting too, because you said that just another fact the so when we do have like managed force so think christmas tree force there's a million other reasons right the lumber industry will manage a force you know the, the lumber industry has come a long way in understanding like you have to you've got to let you know some older trees stand because they act as mother trees is what they're called or hub trees um, all, all these things but basically once we've created a, a tree farm so managed force is one thing but a tree farm um, and then uh, this applies to other plants too, shrubs, for instance, those individuals who've been completely domesticated on the farm are deaf and dumb. They don't communicate with each other anymore when they're put into an artificial growing. Right. Um, well, that's what I'm thinking. Are we able to synthesize wood and the things that we need in other ways that don't require an organism to grow and be like a slave tree? Exactly. Well, like your nanotubes that you talked about yeah. earlier. I mean, there, there are going to be other ways to do this and I think it's right, but I just think it's fascinating that once we've enslaved trees, they absolutely become deaf and dumb. They don't communicate. And then we end up doing things like using more chemical pesticides because they're not creating their own natural defenses anymore because they can't right. talk to each other. So we're even hurting ourselves more putting right, these pesticides right. into the world. It's like, we just keep hurting <laughs> so, ourselves. And, and you're saying trees. horrible things and I'm laughing. Why I'm laughing is because I, when I brought up um, uh, ye old image of a, a, a conservative in the United States. I just, A, I doubt they're listening to us anymore. B, I could just hear them like incensed at this type of conversation as being like, you know, everything that they like to attack liberal, thoughtful, honestly, scientific loving people about is like, this is on the verge of saying, we need to treat the trees with a respect that is going to absolutely impinge on our freedom to just do whatever we want in the trees or, you know, and I could just see them. They don't yeah. respect themselves or anybody else, much less want to extend that to, to nature anytime soon. <laughs> I have a no, very negative agreed. view of And them. then they're again, just, like I kept never, going back to it, would never but I just kept going back to it. I probably said it five times by now, but like, these are, the primary producers for everything we need to survive. Literally the energy yeah. we eat, the compounds we eat that 
fuel our own Krebs Gosh, cycle. So imagine right? that everything that's our, happening. As well the, as our oxygen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just got no, so you intense didn't. thinking of no, everything that's happening in Brazil and like the, you know, the rainforest, just the, the level of devastation and the amount of disruption then that's happening in those systems. Yeah. It's terrifying, but look, Let's not bring it all yes, down because yes, you you yes. stay right. no, so optimistic. So let's go into your big questions. Yes, absolutely. And and audience, we know that um we're we're getting on around our normal time. So we'll we'll probably try to move quickly, but we not too quickly. I'm 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 loving this episode, Allison. It's, it's great. Um, okay. So well, one big question that actually jumped right to the top of the queue here because it's based on what you shared, Allison. So I'll, I'll I'll do this one first and then maybe just pick one of my other ones. Like you, I had a couple in reserve. Um <laughs> now that I've written it, there's definitely going to be folks who have studied this, perhaps hopefully listening, being like, uh, that's a little far. But here's the question. Is our self-awareness, just a, we can consider ourselves self-aware, just a very, very complex and micro-pulsed series of instincts like the trees and the other animals? Is it just, we're talking about the speed. Is it there just so much slowed down if you were to infinitely speed that up? Everything that we consider to be free will, you know, we it's come up so many times in psychology and everything else is determinism and everything else that that from this from the get go chemically, we kind of knew how we were going to react to fear and it's going to build on itself. Now I know I'm dumbing that down a little bit, but that is a way to look at it. Are we is the self awareness idea that we have? Can that be challenged because it's just a spectrum from the slower and the more simple, so to speak, to just something that's very, very fast? Or is it, and I just wrote underneath there, memory, because <laughs> memory is a massive player. But I would bet in some of the research, and I'm not putting you on the spot because it probably wasn't the angle you took. I'm curious if there were, if there's a memory type of interaction or play happening in the, that would be that. That is a really good question. Um, I, as I mentioned, this book, I, I read this book twice this week because oh, wow. I read it. I actually happened to be, I happened to start that book this week, unrelated to anything. I just, my mom had recommended it to me actually. And then once I started reading, I thought, oh, I think this is, I think this might be the direction to go with primary production. Um, and then I felt like I needed to read it again to really get some of the pull out some of the very specific details I wanted that I'd read about. Uh, but I but I really do highly recommend it. And they talk about a lot of other things, like I mentioned. Um, and I think there are some references in there, although these could have been in other articles then that I that I read subsequently that do talk about memory and like the memory of a forest cool. and how, I mean, I do think memory ties so much in with um, um, with evolution, right? With natural selection, because once you learn, you know, once you learn that humans with pointy, stick things that go boom or bad as deer, like you are more likely to survive. So, yeah. uh, but, but I don't have anything specific on that, but fascinatingly, and again, unrelated, I was listening to something this week. I can't even remember what it was. It was probably another podcast. Maybe it was a story on NPR, but somehow the question of self-awareness in other species came up specifically animals. They weren't talking about plants and they were talking about how with dogs. So right now, self-awareness, I think from a scientific perspective, right? Some of the primates, ourselves and octopuses uh, who have proprioceptors, which 
anyway, it's very interesting, but people are always argue, look, dogs are, dogs have to be self-aware, right? Like that, that's just your lay person will say that. So they've done a lot of experiments and a famous one is the mirror test. And so you put a dog, let's say you put a puppy in front of a mirror and most of the time they will freak out thinking it's another dog and try to get at it to either play with it or attack it. But then if you do it a few times, they don't, then it's like, oh, that's just me. I'm good, but we can't, yeah. we, we're not we that can't different. We know. have object permanence issues until we're what two or I can't remember. Like, yeah, that's why peekaboo is shocking. So like your face was not there, but now it's there. That is so funny. But scientists with that study will say, well, we, we have no way yet, at least of knowing if that dog is saying, oh yeah, that's me. I'm good. Or if we've just conditioned them to maybe not freak out, maybe there's something about it mirror that they recognize it's a mirror uh not necessarily right, that it's themselves it can't be as high each time it dulls that i get it exactly yeah. so so they don't know but there are plenty of studies in that space um for humans like you were talking about self-awareness nice um cool uh, did you have any others you wanted to hit on or I did I, I turned mine all more into talking voices because you brought up. No, a, no, I think no, it's it was yeah, so perfect. It was like these amazing this, transitions. This is great. I don't think like I have a bunch yeah. of other notes here, but I mean, I love the no. one that actually struck me about what yeah. you mentioned. Um, I can touch on one thing briefly, but I know, you know, we're, we're pretty much at time, but I don't want to cut you off. Did you have any? No, I did have one more, but like you, I do think we're at time. So I'll just throw it out there though. It's something else I think we've touched on before. And you may have even mentioned it when I was doing my segment. Um, this also brings up the big debate about altruism and is altruism truly altruistic yeah. and we see it in species or is it self-interest? And so, um, you know, trees like will feed other trees, even ones that are of other species. Now, maybe that's because they understand the ecology of the forest. If those trees die, they're going to, the gaps are going right. to be too big in the canopy or something. So is it about their own self-interest um, or can it be more? There are mother trees that send nutrients to saplings to help the saplings grow and all that sort of stuff. Um, oh, so sorry. that's just, it's a big unanswerable question, but I'll throw that out there just for people to think about, but I'd love to hear your last yeah, little thought no, this well. is another one. Um, I'm actually more excited that this is again sparked from your stuff. So uh, if we get to my questions, no big deal. Um, but here's a thought because my mind was tussling with this as we were just talking about it. Because so let's say devil's advocate play a challenge to this whole the trees are quote unquote semi-conscious and therefore have rights and therefore need to be treated differently, or you know, et cetera not challenging Switzerland. I think this is all great. It's important, but here's something that I can't rectify in my head. And, and I could, I could see it potentially being a hot debate that people would have, but maybe, or I'm a happy audience for someone to write in and be like, no, here's a paper. It's not a hot debate, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But I I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the trees and I'm thinking of AI and where my mind goes is we in isolation, think of AI and we keep saying, well, no, they haven't crossed into true self-awareness because they are just carrying out programs. Could, and I'm not sure, could it be stated that chemically the trees are just programmed to have what looks like to be complex, quote unquote, thoughtful reactions, but it's chemical programming. However, the question then becomes, and I am a staunch atheist, as I've said many times, but where is that programming coming from? In the case of 
computers, we are doing the programming. If we're saying that that's chemical programming, from what? So that is different. And that goes back to your question of free will, because then you just apply it to us and say, well, we are making decisions and doing these things. Well, are we, do we actually have free will or all these other things influence us? Or are we from an evolutionary biology perspective pre-programmed? So, whoa, that is like the biggest question of, that is the question. That's the hard question. I think Stoppard has a play called the hard question talking just about this free will versus not. So, Because I could see if I was playing, if I was writing a character, say in a Stoppard play where two, you know, people were fighting about a tree that needed to be torn down and somebody was getting deep into everything you said from one side for why it should be respected. I could see, unfortunately, in my head, it would be a nefarious character, but that's because I'm, I, I shouldn't be judging it, but someone could turn around and be like, that tree is no differently chemically programmed than the, just to bring it back, the automated mobile robot that I have has AI and 3D vision that, you know, Gideon Brothers has evolved, say in the next 10 years. You know what I'm saying? Like that, has some merit to at least consider. I think that's interesting. Yeah, cool. and that, that's what scientists say. They're like, look, it's just, they're not talking. It's actually, it's just, it's just evolution at work. It's just, you know, yeah, natural selection. Point, that goes but, the, like, where's the source? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, excellent. I think that was a good place to wrap it actually, because Absolutely. Yep, it, totally. it's the biggest question I think in the universe. <laughs> oh, I'll share one very, just a very funny thing. It only take five seconds. One of the things I found hilarious from the book is he talks about how trees in his perspective have personalities. Like some trees are like really nice to other species and some trees aren't. And quote, he says, beaches harass other trees. And I can only read that as beaches are little bitches. And it makes me (laughs) giggle a lot. Beaches are beaches. (laughs) 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 Okay. Well, that was a, wow. I mean, we went two different directions that overlapped a lot more than I thought they would. Yeah. I, I love when that happens. I mean, it feels like it should be the norm that so many sources of information and logic and thinking will overlap. But yeah, it's it's always very satisfying when it, it happens. <laughs> so what do you think, Mark? You you had the highest role. So let's talk about your rating. Um, last week, you gave this a five. You gave production a five. Yeah, you know what? I I think this shoots up to a... Well, it's up to an eight for me. Wow, that's a big jump. Yeah, I, I mean, I think particularly because it, I didn't quite expect it to be this source of so much optimism for me. And and it got me thinking that everything we... There's an optimistic way of looking at where we have problems. It, it's by its nature in that problem where you're going to find the solution. Does that make sense? Like the way that we have created the problem through these, these mass production and the way that we're damaging things. Well, then the only way that we're going to find ultimate optimism is to dig into those things and change them, I, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> so I, it makes complete sense. I love that. Yeah, five, two, and eight. So I was at a six. Um, I'm actually going to also bring it up to an eight uh, for a couple of reasons. I loved your optimistic take on it. I loved that there were multiple avenues to go down with this. I loved everything I learned about trees. I've always loved trees, but I didn't know like all of this stuff. And it, I just, it made, it filled me with like contentment reading about it. Um, and also the idea of going down the dramaturgy thing, I thought was so interesting. So I do think there's just a lot there with production. And I thought we brought it to two very interesting and at least yours optimistic places. So yeah, 
a six to an eight for me. Brilliant. And just to very briefly be a dork, folks, as we have promised every episode so far, we'd say we'd be keeping a spreadsheet and we've started one. And so now I can give you juicy little like data tidbits like um, our, our cumulative average of how much we've changed and such over time. And so if you've been... F- you know, watching or, or listening to each episode, you notice over the past couple of weeks, I think Allison and I both, we just stumbled on some words and some things that were a little bleaker. And, and a lot of our, our shifts went lower. Like we might've started at an eight and dropped significantly. So when we started the podcast, we were finding things that we were going the other way, like really positive reactions going from like sevens to tens and things like that. And so before coming into this week, I was barely averaging as a positive shift, like less than one. Uh, Allison was, uh, I think at zero. So she was net zero, meaning she had gone up as very much as she had gone down over the the six episodes. But now we stand, uh, Allison, you've tipped into the positive. So you're up 0.33, meaning you're, you know, overall starting to skew more higher. And I've gone up to 1.7. So um, for any data geeks, you might enjoy that. For others, you might just be rolling your eyes being like, I don't care. <laughs> right. It doesn't mean anything, but no, it really does. Cause I think one of our, one of our, um, hypotheses, hi- hypotheses yeah. <laughs> when we started this podcast was, you know, any word can be exciting when you actually dig into it and go down the rabbit hole. And so is yeah. that true? And in general, I mean, right now it is skewing in that direction. Yep. It's interesting. It, it kind of also shines a light on our intent. Like I almost intentionally, well, I just said intentionally twice, um, said, is there something in this that I can focus on? Now, over time, you need to be balanced, right? I could probably find, I could have focused on the industrial revolution and, and all that. And that's something we can't ignore. But yeah, I think our, our balance in, of intent is important too. All right, cool. So I think we can wrap up and get our new word, right? Yes. All right. So As I usual, will, I will terrified. do that. <laughs> All right. So here we go. And three, two, one. <laughs> oh no, what? Dirt. <laughs> so audience, we are laughing if you've listened. Allison and I, from uh, before we even started recording, we were planning the podcast. Um, we're laughing about what if we get mud? Like, what's going to happen there? Da, 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 da. Well, this is about as close as we're going to get. And I think we both decided that this could be really, really interesting. I actually, yeah, right. I'm so, I'm actually so excited about this. I think my example when we were telling everyone, the listeners, about mud, and I was like, "How cool is mud? Like primordial ooze." So I won't go down that path with dirt. It is a little different too, because dirt's not as oozy. But I think this is going to be, honestly, I'm incredibly excited. So um, I don't remember. Do I? Because you generated. Do I give the reaction first or vice versa? Oh, go uh, ahead. Yeah, do it. I'm. 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 Mm. I'm tempted to give it a 10, but I'm going to give it a nine. Oh, jeez! I think it's going to be so cool. Excellent. Um, I know I like, I echo your excitement. I, I'm going to go eight. I'll go eight. Ah. I'm giggling internally because I can just picture the audience right now. <laughs> like, it's dirt. You guys, it's dirt. You all what's going on. 
But yeah, as we've said, there's a lot going on in there. And there's a lot of ways to look at it. There's a lot of ways to, you know, I think. Watch, we'll come back next week. <laughs> I found Jack. There's nothing on there. <laughs> well, then we'll definitely, those statistics of yours will definitely be skewing right. downwards. Exactly. But I, I think, I mean, how there's so many things we could talk about there. So I'm very right. excited. Yes. All right. Excellent. So everyone, we are going to wrap up. I want to thank you all for listening and, and tuning in to the renowned podcast. So if you are enjoying the show, and we really hope you are, uh, it would be fantastic if on whatever platform you're listening or watching us, please like us, please follow and you know subscribe to the show. If your platform has the opportunity to leave us a review, that would also be amazing. And also helping us spread the word. So on social media, we are at renowned podcast. Please follow us. It sounds like I'm begging. Please follow us. But in a way, fledgling podcasts, you know, as you well know, we, we need an audience. We, we would love to have more folks uh, listen to the show, give us feedback, help us grow the show. So if you could follow us, uh, take an extra 30 seconds in your morning or the afternoon to send a, you know, retweet something or, or share it with a friend, we would love that. And of course, there's also www.renownedpodcast.com where you can find ways to listen or find us on different platforms. But also Allison does an amazing job of going through and, and finding you know things that we talk about during the shows, additional works cited uh, and background information that you can find. Also, check out the episode notes. So there's a tons of things, recommendations on things to see, to go do potentially, to read, to watch that are all related to these, you know, our curiosity to these different nouns we're getting and the, the rabbit holes that we are going down. So thank you everybody. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.